This is Vincent Price. <laughs> So I've already started recording, as you heard. Um, I figure, I guess I'll just say it. Everybody is listening to the Incredible Two-Headed Podcast, which once again has become the Incredible Three-Headed Podcast. Welcoming back uh, Jay Carlos Menjvar of Dial F for Film and Rick Todd Johnson, the Cinema 4 Pylon, or would you rather the Cinema 4, Cinema 4 Cell Block? It can be either. There's no action going on on either one right now, so we oh. can say what. Yeah, you're getting a little busy right now, I hear. With uh, Yeah, I'm like back to the work for the first time in a year, and uh, it's uh, picking up. Um, so we've all gathered today. Uh, it is the end of our Master of Mayness tribute to Vincent Price. Uh, the month actually ended last week, as far as when this episode airs, but I figured I'd get everybody together. We just kind of do a roundup, like, I don't know, not, not quite a, a post-game, but we'll just talk about Vincent Price. So I don't know about you guys, but I really don't have any notes. I figured we'd just, you know, talk for a little while about what we've been watching. I have no notes whatsoever. So yeah, same. Yeah. I didn't do any preparation. <laughs> I figured I could, I could just depend on you guys to talk for a while. Yeah. Well, sure. can, can I tell you uh, the last Vincent Price thing I watched right before uh, this recording? I, uh, I watched the pit and the pendulum again. Oh, nice. I watched that this week as well. Yeah. I didn't have a lot of time to watch as much as I wanted this week. So I was only able to watch that and the bat, but uh, Pit in the Pendulum, I want to really like the movie, but I only really enjoy the last few moments of the movie uh, once they're in the pit and the pendulum makes the appearance. I I was squirming uh, like I had never seen that scene before when I watched it. Um, but I, I, I mean, outside of that, I don't really care for a lot of the dr uh, drama beforehand. And it's just kind of this buildup to that. And it's a very, very loose adaptation of uh, Edgar Allan Poe's story. But I, it's still, it's it's fine. But yeah, the ending for me is, uh, I think is great. Yeah, I, I like that one. I think I, think I I meant to watch uh, House of Usher this week as well because I haven't seen that in years. Same, man. I mean, I like most of the the Edgar Allan Poe movies. You know, the last movie I watched just early this morning, it, it wasn't Vincent Price, but it, it kind of goes in with all this viewing as I watched The Premature Burial with Ray Milland. I hadn't seen that one in a very long time. And I don't know what it was about it this time that like really struck me. Maybe it was just kind of like I was up really late. I was not in a great mood going into it. Everybody else was asleep, but there was something about that one's atmosphere. And maybe just the fact that it wasn't Vincent Price, it didn't have kind of the the level of of comfort and recognition that I've had with all the rest of the movies this month. But it, it just felt a lot more moody and a lot more downbeat in a way that, I mean, kind of like I, I identified with at the moment. And I was like, man, I'm really digging this movie. Uh, but that's not Vincent Price, so we can skip over that. But it easily could have been. It could have. I'm. I. I remember. I read somewhere what the reason was, but I don't remember it. Do you? Do you recall why he wasn't in that one? I. I without looking it up, I. I don't recall at the moment. Um. I. I do know. Before that movie, Milan had filmed with AIP, the company that produced those films, 
he had filmed X the Man with X-ray eyes, either before or after. I can't remember. So he'd done it. And then he also did Panic in Year Zero for AIP, which he directed. But yeah, he did multiple films for AIP. Uh, yeah, but I remember there was, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to actually look it up because I remember there was a specific reason that Vincent Price wasn't, oh, uh, oh, okay. Uh, Premature Burial was actually a, a Roger Corman production, not AIP initially. And AIP had Vincent Price under exclusive contrast, contract. So he cast Ray Milland, Ray Milland. Right. But the film released by AIP, I believe. Yeah. And while he was shooting, Nicholson and Arkoff showed up, announced to Corman that they were working again as they had, uh, uh, they had gotten the movie back from Path A. Yeah. But I, I like it. I, I like Ray Milland in that one. I like Ray Milland and everything. Yeah. X, you mentioned X-Man with the X-Ray Eyes. That's a, that's a really cool movie. That's a great movie. Have you seen that one, Carlos? Uh, yeah, it's been a really long time um, since I've seen it, but I, I really—that's the one that came to mind when when you may, mentioned him. Uh, and yeah, I, I, I remember really enjoying that. I don't know why I'm I'm I, my mind just wants to pronounce it like put some fanciness on Ray Milland. It, it, <laughs> it's just Milland, right? I think so. Yeah, Ray Milland. Milland. <laughs> I like him in uh, Dial Dial M for Murder. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah of course. He's great in that. Yeah. But but enough about that. We're talking about Vincent Cross. <laughs> yeah, Vincent Vincent Priest. Cross. I I haven't watched as much this year as I wanted to. I was like kind of making it a whole month on my show, and of course I watched a couple of movies each week with Vincent Price for the for the show. I I really wanted to just go through everything and do a huge marathon, but yeah, I didn't. Get, I didn't get the chance to. I just watched. Well, you know, on top of the ones we watched for the show whenever i watched uh the fly series i watched all the fly films and he's in the first two of those of course gosh i don't think i watched too much else i watched uh the pit and the pendulum uh the raven i watched the raven and how is that i have actually never seen that one that's one i wanted to watch well that film's a ball yeah i'm gonna let rick take over on this one because those two comedies i'm not a huge fan of yeah i I just enjoy the actors all playing off each other. It's just silly. It's very, very silly. Uh, it has it has so little to do with the poem. Oh yeah, <laughs> a couple of musicians. Yeah. It's it's just very goofy. Um, yeah, I think I need something like that right now. Something goofy. Yeah, yeah, that one's <laughs> that one's just very silly fun. The actors are having a ball making. That's that's enjoyable. Seeing how much fun they are having, and I had moments of enjoyment in it. But I watched that and Comedy of Terrors back to back. And those are two movies I was never big fans of. So I hadn't watched them in years. I mean, you know, maybe I just wasn't in the right mood for them. But I, I liked seeing them have fun. But otherwise, I was just like, man, this movie is too much for me right now. Yeah. I had forgotten that Jacques Tourneur did Comedy of Terrors. So when I saw his name in the credits, I was like, oh, man, maybe I, I had maybe I just didn't realize this movie is a classic. And it, it's kind of more of the same. Um, <laughs> it, yeah, but but yeah. The, it, the same feeling is in it that those actors are just having a lot of fun playing off each other. Yeah, it it that's true, and I think Comedy of Terrors has kind of like a a fun little escalation towards the end. Um, oh yeah, I like Boris Karloff, uh, it, it, like kind of a minor minor character for what you would Very expect. Very role in it, yeah. But but a memorable yeah, one. Price yeah. and Lagos and Price and uh, 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 Laurie. I almost said Legosi. 
<laughs> yeah. And uh, of course, Basil Rathbone. But what I, I also watched another one with, uh, not, not with Karloff, but with the rest of them. I watched uh, Tales of Terror this week, not for the show. That one I thought was really a lot of fun. And I think maybe I just like the anthology format. Not everything was good about it. Like some of it was a little threadbare and like a little too goofy. Um, but I, I really think Price does some, some great work, particularly in that first story, the Morella uh, short, when his daughter comes back and he's just this drunken man that's been living next to his wife's drying corpse for the for <laughs> decades. That his, his performance in that, that little short was really good. Which one was this one? Oh, Tales of Terror. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, that was another one that I wanted to watch this week. It's good. Yeah, yeah. I I liked it quite a bit. What do you? What about you, Rick? I haven't watched it for a couple of years. I mean, so that's I purposely did not watch any of the Roger Corman films for the last month. Uh, mainly because, well, I wanted to watch other stuff with Vincent Price because normally my go-to is going to the Corman films. And I wanted to watch things that I hadn't seen as much. I uh, watched a lot of his stuff with, uh, well, stuff that was kind of done around the time of uh, the Fibes films, which Aaron and I talked about. And then I, I kind of jumped around in his filmography and tried to hit things that were a little more obscure and, or and in a couple cases, things that I hadn't seen. Like today I watched two films with Vincent Price that I had not seen before. And I really had to dig to find them, <laughs> but I watched The Web. That's on my list. If you want to find it, it's on archive.org. Oh, good. Uh, and it's not the best copy, and it has Portuguese subtitles on the film itself. So, <laughs> no. and large, but it's the only way you're going to find it right now. Yeah. So, uh, uh yeah so just look for the web 1947 on archive.org you'll find a couple different versions of it they both have subtitles there might be another one hiding under somewhere but i haven't found it yet but i watched that uh, a couple hours ago and then the film i just finished right before the podcast recording here is uh percy's progress from 1974 which is a british sex comedy sequel to the film percy from three years earlier which is about a man with the world's first penis transplant. Why does that oh. sound familiar? <laughs> and Percy's Progress is the sequel three years later. And Percy, uh, because there's like a chemical spill that renders everybody on the, every man on the planet. Uh, infertile? Uh, not just infertile, but he is the only oh. man on earth to be able to get an erection. <laughs> and so... <laughs> The, the, the first film is ridiculous just in the, 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 the way the reason he needs a penis transplant is a, a nude guy who's like been cheating. He's a, like a, a guy who's been cheating on his wife. He falls from a skyscraper, but he, when he falls, he grabs the chandelier to stop himself and rips out the chandelier. And he falls from the skyscraper and he lands on Percy or not Percy. He lands on this guy named Edwin and cuts off his penis and then they use the guy's penis <laughs> to transplant onto Percy because the guy dies, obviously. And so the guy names his penis Percy. And that's where the name comes from. <laughs> and of course, then he's the toast of the town and, and he has this enormous penis that he didn't have before and women go crazy over him. 
and then the sequel is even crazier with the whole and it's just it, there's a lot of like british you know beauties you know models and hammer girls who are in this film and he just kind of basically beds woman after woman after woman and it's a lot of a lot of carry on type jokes um you know if, if you're familiar with that series just you know ribald you know naughtiness there is some nudity but it's not anything super dirty you know it's just a lot of rolling around in sheets and stuff and and uh uh but yeah it was very silly and and uh vincent price plays kind of a greek tycoon character named stavros mamonian he's in a wheelchair which is pretty cool (laughs) uh, if you recall his other wheelchair movie is house of wax so yeah there you go. So 21 years later, he's playing that guy. You know, not the guy, but he's playing a wheelchair character again. And he's barely in the film. He's like, like in like just like a scene or two. So he's like, he's bar- there's a lot of like British stars. I mean, Vincent Price is not British, but there's a lot of British stars kind of doing cameos in the film. You know, I, I just Googled this because I was like, what? Where? Like, where did you? <laughs> and I found it on YouTube. But I, I just Googled it. And the first thing that came up with Google's autofill is Percy's Promise, a Thomas the Tank Engine episode, which sounds like a <laughs> Thomas the Tank. Yeah, yeah, that sounds like an unexpected sequel. It does. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's his brother. <laughs> I, th- yeah, this these movies sound crazy. I have to find these. Yeah, I'm very interested. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, I'm. I might eventually get to them. I do make it a point every year because every year I watch a few Vincent Price movies around his birthday, and I always make it a make it a point to to select one or two that are brand new that I've never seen before. I was trying I was trying to watch more, but this year the only new to me one I saw well I saw the Bat. I we won't get into that. I had never seen the Bat before, but that wasn't on his birthday. On his birthday, I watched uh, Dragon Wick, which I'd been meaning to get to for years, and finally, which I really liked. I like it too. Um, yeah, it's the, like the third time I've seen it. I, oh, okay. I watch it, and yeah, it's a he's got a really great villainous role in that film. He is such a bastard in that movie. Oh, he's a creep. He's just the worst. He's he's really good in it. Um, a very understated performance compared to some of the other things you would do. But it would it took me a minute to get into the movie because of how melodramatic and weepy it is. I mean, it's it's not like completely out there for what, what you know, movies were like at the time or what type of movie it is, but it was just, uh, I don't know, it was a little bit off-putting at the, at, at the outset for me, but I ended up really enjoying the movie. I don't think I've ever heard of Dragon Wick. And it, uh, it re-teamed him with Gene Tierney. Oh, from Laura. Which I re-watched this morning, actually. I was going to re-watch that as well. Laura's good. Really great film and, and just so entertaining. Yeah, and that it's so like weird too because like the whole movie f- focuses on like this love triangle and one give it of a- the what's that? Don't give it away. No, no, yeah, it involves a love triangle and one of the one of the persons involved is dead, and it's just so weird. It becomes this obsession that's hanging over everyone in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's uh, and I and I also like that Vincent Price really sticks out in this movie. And I don't know if it's because I really like Vincent Price and 
I know him from other things that are not like Laura, but every time I see him and he's not in the movie very much, he's so good. I just love him in that role. And it's different from, not different, because a lot of it is kind of the same as some of the stuff he does later, but in just a different light, you know? And sure. it's kind of more serious uh, film noir. Uh, and yeah, I don't know. I just really like him in that. And that movie is fantastic. It's, you know, one of the best noirs out there. It's terrific. It's uh, it's one I go back to a lot. Yep. And, uh, I was planning on doing it again this year as well. I'm not. I'm still not done. I'm going to be watching more stuff this weekend with Vincent Price. <laughs> but Dragon Wake is kind of a, I don't know. Would you call it like a gothic romance? Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's it's yeah. It's it's very much a gothic romance. Probably not quite gothic. Period. But um, it's similar. Um, it, it it also is is kind of in the same realm of uh, story that say House of Seven Gables would be. I don't believe I've seen that one. You have, oh my gosh, yeah. I'm uh, to, I'm, I'm House of Seven think. Gables is is a must as far as Linton Price goes because that really kind of put him on the map. So, you know, I I I I think I must have seen it before. But, that sounds really familiar. Because I, I, yeah, like it was a universal film. It was one of the. It was the film he did after Tower of London, the the, the first version of it in 1939, and then uh, Green Gable, uh, House of Green Gables was uh, not Green Gables, House seven. of Seven Gables. <laughs> There's no Anne of Green Gables in this movie. House of Seven Gables is the uh, Nathaniel Hawthorne adaptation that really doesn't have a lot to do with the book. Uh, just the basic structure of the book is in the movie. But they kind of they make it more of a kind of a haunted kind of house movie, but not really. Um, it, but it has that kind of deeply gothic feel that is oh, actually in the story itself. Oh, and uh, uh, and uh, and like Dragonwick, I mean, in, in Dragonwick, uh, so House of, House of Seven Gables involves a curse by by one family on another family because they own a piece of property the other family used to own. And then uh, Dragonwick has like this, you know, uh, Price is kind of a kind of a sociopathic uh, land baron, you know, and uh, um, but he has kind of a similar part in both movies. I mean, it's well, it, it, it's just the mood. The mood is very much the same, except I think Seven Gables is probably darker. Oh, wow. Really? Because Dragonwick is pretty dark. Seven Gables has just has like this, this deeply unsettling mood to it. Okay, I you know I'm looking at it. I don't believe I've seen House of Seven Gables. I all this time I thought I must have, and for some reason I I, I was so convinced that I had it that I watched Twice Told Tales recently, which is also based on Hawthorne, and yeah. I wanted to make it a double bill with House of Seven Gables, and I went to go and grab it off my shelf. And was surprised that I didn't own it, but I was just—I was convinced I'd seen it at one point, and it does not look like I have. So, yeah, uh, Price Price did like uh, three or four films for Universal, but he was disappointed with them because he felt because he was he was basically kind of doing just kind of horror roles or light horror roles, and he felt he was being typecast. And he was barely—he'd only been acting a couple of years at that point, or uh, you know. He was big hit on Broadway before he, before Universal signed into a contract, and then um, he thought he was just going to be stuck in the same type of roles forever with Universal. So he broke away from them and he got a contract with 27th Fox, and that's when he ended up in Laura and Dragonwick and all these other movies. 
Um, and then just a few years later, he realized being a villain was actually where it was at. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. He was on all sorts of movies, though. So, I mean, it's. Yeah, that's the great thing. I mean, most most people kind of think of him of just like a horror sci-fi genre guy. But if you look back, he has over 200 credits. And when you look through it, there's a lot of stuff that. Uh, is more dramatic or more prestige and especially early on, but he, he was all over the place. And I, I like when he pops up in somewhere that I, I don't expect him. Um, yeah. To, uh, that's always really cool. Um, I, I, I did want to bring up 1959 is a pretty big year. I think as far as like some of the movies that came out, the bat, <laughs> uh, which you mentioned return of the flight, but also that's the same year as both house on haunted Hill and the tingler. Uh, which are both uh, Will- William Castle, uh, Rob Rob White uh, uh, films, which uh, I bo- the, which are both that I really like, especially the the Tingler. I think that movie's a lot of fun. It's pretty cool. Well, it's funny you mention that because the episode that is going to be right before this one, so it's been recorded, but uh, it, it's going to be the week before this. The episode is titled 1959. <laughs> it is uh it is the house on haunted hill and the bat and the bat oh cool <laughs> but you, that's even, fun. like you know the tingler is kind of schlocky but it's really fun yeah. and it, as well as the fly you know he's the, these the are tingler the, is gloriously schlocky it is it is yeah <laughs> it's very william castle i love the tingler like deeply yeah it's so good it, it's great it's great uh no, I was, I was going to say, these movies are kind of like tent poles in that this side of his career, that kind of like arch uh, horror side of his career. And yet only three years earlier, he's in like the Ten Commandments, right? Like he's still oh, right. serious movies at this time. Well, he was in the big circus in 1959 also. That was a prestige picture for its, yeah, at its time too. Oh, okay. A ton of people in it. I was not familiar with that one. That that's the one movie from that year. It's kind of a, a second cousin to Greatest Show on Earth. It's one of those type of movies. It's okay. a circus circus uh, drama, you know. Oh, but, uh, so, so kind of like Nightmare Alley. No, no, no. Have you not seen <laughs> Greatest Show on Earth, which came out like six or seven years earlier, won the Best Picture, but it's just a big circus drama. And not uh, Nightmare Alley. That rally is like a circus drama, obviously, but it's that's a weirder movie than this. This is more of a mainstream production. That's what my point was. He was doing a big mainstream thing outside of the horror films uh, in '59, so he was able to work both within the genre, both both within genre films, and then you know bigger productions also. Oh yeah, I got I got what you're saying. I'm just yeah. I, I really want to get that new Criterion Nightmare Alley Blu-ray. So it's fun. so nice. I love the art for that. It looks so cool. Aaron's always working his film boner. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> so, uh, have you guys? I mean, I'm sure Rick, you've read a lot I, uh, about Vincent Price. I read that biography uh, Victoria Price, his daughter, put out yeah. a few years back. Um, there's a lot in that that I, 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 I mean, I didn't like retain all the information, but it was. Uh, it was kind of interesting to me to f- hear that like after working in Hollywood and in films for years, he, when he tried going back to the stage, he just didn't feel he had it in him anymore. Like, uh, like he kept trying, making a go at it. He kept, he enjoyed doing it, but he, he kind of felt like he had lost the muscle memory. 
like because it was a different type of acting for film. When he did go back to theater later in his career, it was mostly like one man show type stuff. Yeah, yeah, like uh, he was doing the Edgar Allan Poe one for a while, right? His big one was Oscar Wilde. Oh, that that's right, that's right. Yeah, but he did he did do the Poe thing too. He did he did a tour of Poe or a lot of tours of Poe, but he but Oscar Wilde was the major one that he did that he got a lot of acclaim for, and he like traveled the entire well, not just the country, the world doing it. That's right. That's right. So uh, I've I've said several times, I think, I think it's it's been in a couple of the episodes so far this month that Vincent Price is kind of the 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 celebrity or actor that I, I wish I had been able to meet. Like more more than any other, I think I, I really would have liked to have just like spent an evening with Vincent Price, having a having dinner and listening to him tell stories or whatever. Having dinner that he made. By the That's way. right. I was looking. I'm. I'm. I'm thinking I might buy him or buy him. I'm thinking I might buy uh, one of his cookbooks here. Yeah. Ooh. I, yeah. But he he seemed like he seemed so genuine. I don't know if if you guys have the Screen Factory Vincent Price collection Blu-rays. Nope. I already had. I, I know you got them, but yeah, I already had all that stuff on DVD. Okay. Yeah. The Blu-rays are fantastic, and on one of them, there is a document, on the one, the Fives Blu-ray, there is a documentary about this uh, public access, tele, like, a public television station in Idaho, I think, or or Ohio, I can't remember, but it's a small public a television station, and they got the rights to 10 Vincent Price films, like so the 60s ones in the early 80s. And they, it coincided with them or Vincent Price doing like a Midwestern tour of uh, uh, some show. Maybe it was Oscar Wilde. I, I can't remember what he was doing at this time. They reached out to him as he, and he's like, well, I'm passing through town. And so they spent like a day filming these intros where he would just talk about the movie a minute and then the movie would end and he'd talk a little bit more about it. And the documentary is a short 15 minutes thing or 15 minute long thing paints him as just the nicest man in the world. Like the guy that. that's talking is, is the guy who wrote all the copy for him. And he, he says he went out and he got every interview he could find with Vincent Price and wrote these intros based on what Vincent Price said in these interviews about the movies. He talks about how he, he never had to do multiple takes, but if they ever asked him, he was like, oh, okay. And like completely just like happy to be there, you know, friendly with everybody never complained or never came in with an attitude. It is so utterly charming. And the Blu-rays actually have the intros from the, the television station as well, intros and outros, and they're a lot of fun. It, the guy, it's really, it's really nice because the guy that's doing the uh, talking in the interview on the documentary talks about how proud he is to this day that one of his first ever writing jobs was writing for Vincent Price. That's amazing. It's, it's a really fun set. Like, yeah. <laughs> to watch him. That's really cool. There were uh, there was two other movies that I wanted to mention that I, I haven't seen in a long time, but I really like is uh, Madhouse. Oh yeah, um, which is uh, just I, I the style of that movie. Uh, it just I don't know. There's something about it. I really like it. I like the look. Uh, I believe that's a British film, right? Uh, yeah. It's surprisingly uh, bloody for, I think, the time. There's more blood than I expected. And I really, I won't give it away, but I really like the thing uh, with the bed in that movie, which I think is really awesome. But uh, 
there was that one and uh the other one is uh the conquering worm or uh which which finder general which yeah. i also love and i love like which like which which hunt movies uh from this era to uh that, and, and this one is always one that I, I don't know maybe it's because he wear wears hats in both movies i just he's he's so <laughs> cool and and i really like these two movies these are like two that stick out and he's wearing hats in both of them yeah witchfinder general we we covered this last month but i i really think that for his horror films that's just one of the best performances i think uh he is so um uh, you know i mean it's kind of the same thing I said in in uh, regards to Dragon Wake, where he's such a bastard, but he is he is so underplaying everything, and such an interesting kind of like behind the scenes story for that film. Uh, listeners, go listen to that episode if you want to hear about it. <laughs> <laughs> One that I I, I kind of wanted to rewatch, and I'm worried it's not going to live up because I've only seen it once before. Is Theater of Blood, which is basically like a less stylish Doctor Fibes, I think. Like it's a very similar film or plot. I remember not expecting much of it. And when it happened or when I watched it, thinking that it was like really a fun movie. Yeah, I, I just watched it and I, I still really think it's terrific. Okay, good. Then I'm, I'm really going to give it a shot this week. Cause I, I, like I said, I've only seen it the once and was worried maybe I, I wouldn't like yeah. it. Either, but I'm, no, I'm it, it's really good. Uh, yeah, he's basically an actor getting revenge on a bunch of theater critics and knocking them off one at a time. But he has a bunch of minions helping him do it. The homeless, uh, he, he, they think he's dead. They, they think he's fallen to his death and he's uh, taken in by the homeless and then he uses them to get revenge on all the theater critics who had caused him to put, put, supposedly commit suicide. Yeah, so it's basically fives, but for the theater world instead of doctors. And Diane yeah. Rigg is is playing Volnavia, basically. Yes, basically. But I, I I love all the images of her with the the like the big the big hair and the mustache and all the disguises they wear. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's also pretty gruesome too. But it's yeah, it's yeah. Well, once you get into the seventies, like I mean, you were talking about how bloody um, Madhouse was. That was an Amicus production, right? And they they could get kind of gruesome in their movies. Yep. Mm-hmm. that's a studio i want to like watch everything that they put out <laughs> they, they it kind of a limited run there but i really love all of their omnibus films and um yeah. i mean i just like i just like anthology movies i guess anthology. yeah i i there was a there was a period where uh one halloween usually i you know immerse myself in in horror movies for the month month of october and there was one year where i almost exclusively focus on just watching anth- uh, anthology movies what's that what's that tv movie one from the i think it's from the 70s i karen black is in it oh trilogy of terror yeah that's that's the year i saw that and i'd never heard of it and when i put it on i didn't know what to expect but i really enjoyed that i thought that was a lot of fun very surprising uh but anthology movies I, I, i'm i'm with you like i'm kind of like a sucker for them i watch them all trick-or-treat tales of halloween there's just so many out there and i've seen a good bunch of them and i love the older ones too uh like the ones you've mentioned and um what's that other one there's i saw it recently what is it called okay well i can't remember what it's called but i love anthology dead of night Nah, not dead of night but i love dead of night that is a great 
movie. I, yeah, yeah. Dead of Night is amazing. So I'm dating myself here, but I was 10 years old when Trilogy of Terror came on television. <laughs> and oh. let me tell you, I did not sleep that night. <laughs> the first two, uh, ep- the first two episodes in it were kind of lost to me as a kid, you know. Because, but man, <laughs> that final, the, one. Oh, <laughs> that little, that little warrior, yeah, yeah, that yeah. That I would not go into a kitchen and look under anything for a good while. I, yeah, I was like freaked out, like for a very long time. And I had enough stuff scaring me in our house. And then I had that scaring me too. So, uh, yeah, I, it's amazing. I ever got into horror films. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's what took me so long to get into horror movies is something like just like a traumatically terrifying moment from being a kid, like watching. Yeah. I remember it was, John Carpenter's The Thing like scared me off of horror movies for at least well almost another decade. We had every type of monster in our house. So I was I I think I was actually doomed to get into horror films because I was like because everything frightened me. So I was just like, well, I gotta embrace this because everything's scary in the world. So yeah. um, but you know, vampires downstairs, you know, werewolves down the steps, you know, whatever, you know. It was like Every we, we, I imagined every type of creature in the world, you know, Bigfoot in in the woods around our house. You know, it's like it's amazing I made it this far. So, well, and you had those like, you know, Carlos. He he were, he was living in Alaska. We're both from Alaska. You know, he's got those big woods, and you were on Eagle River, which was less developed than where I was in Anchorage. Yeah, we we Ooh. legitimately had woods all around our house. So, yeah, and then like a long driveway to lock down in the middle of, of in the middle of uh, so you get off school, you get off uh, out of school at like you know two thirty, three o'clock in the afternoon, and in Alaska in the winter, well, sun's already going down at that time, so you're getting off the bus to darkness, and then your your friend leaves you two acres down the street, and you're walking, and so then you gotta, and because I was older than my brothers. I'm getting off the bus by myself. And then there's that long walk down our long driveway and the moon's out. And I got nothing but vamp, uh, not vampire, but werewolf movies in my head <laughs> and Bigfoot out there somewhere. And then I'm like doing this running as fast as I can down that driveway, you know? And uh, just, yeah, I was just always in fear of something. It was crazy. Yeah. I, I was a, a scared little kid <laughs> as, as well strangely like i i really ended up just like loving the woods like we i grew up in anchorage kind of a suburban area but we um we had like i could walk pretty easily and be in a few minutes be in kind of woods where i couldn't see any houses or hear anything around me uh well maybe not hear hear anything around me but you know i'd be in the middle of the woods and i loved those i ended up like once i was able old enough to sneak out of the house at night i would go for walks in the woods Eventually, my mom nailed my window closed because I think I, th- I think she thought <laughs> I think she thought I was going out to like party and stuff, but really I was just going for a walk. And because we had a couple of lakes not too far from our house too, and I'd walk around those. And it doesn't get like super dark in the summer, but you know, still walking through those, and you hear like the rare loon or something out on the lake. Like that, it's such a it's such an evocative sound in my and in my memory 
I haven't heard anyone mention an, a nailed window in like 20 years. That's so crazy. I forgot about that. I remember being at someone's house and like asking like, why is there, why are there nails here? Yeah. <laughs> it's so crazy. Wow. I'm very compelled by the idea of the woods, but then I go on the internet and read weird happens in secluded wooded areas. And then I think of Christopher McCandless and uh, Into the Wild and uh, yeah, I, I have this odd attraction to the woods end, but I'm also very terrified of it. And I've never really been around the woods. Yeah. It, it's so weird. I get that. And yeah, there's a lot of people that just like love that into the wild thing and do go missing and horrible yeah. things can happen to them. I will tell you though, um, you know, where I grew up was not that, not that dangerous. Yeah. But I, I, I never felt scared out walking around after midnight or something in the woods. I was never, uh, never really scared of anything. And maybe I was just an idiot because there are like in Anchorage, <laughs> in Anchorage, unless you're in certain areas, the chances of you meeting anything like a bear or anything are very rare in, in the summer. The, you know, the moose are mostly gone. So not, not too many big predators you have to worry about in, in where I was. Predators? Wait, what? Go what? Moose? Oh, moose are very dangerous. And a baby. Oh, I know they're huge, but I I didn't. There was a danger. Do oh, they or what's the danger? There's you can go on to YouTube. Probably still find the footage of the guy who got stopped outside the sports arena at UAA, the the university there, probably twenty five years ago. Uh, ended up on the local news that yeah, it was a Korean guy. He was hard of hearing, and he's walking towards. He was. He's. I think he was walking out of the sports arena, or he's walking towards it. I can't remember what it was. And people were yelling at him, "Hey, there's a moose there with a baby. There's a mother moose there." And he didn't hear them, and she jumped on him and just stomped him to death. Oh my god! Yeah, and it's all on video. They they just seem so like like friendly giants to me. Yeah. Oh, they, well, they, <laughs> they can they can be. They're sweet yeah. sometimes if you yeah. You're on your porch and they come out look them up and you can you know they'll they'll like come up to you and stuff and as long as you got something between you and them you're fine but if you're getting out of your car and there's a moose there and they've got a baby with them uh they will get very very defensive and they will attack yeah Jeez. but i've actually i've actually walked into the rear end of a moose before and it just <laughs> turned around and looked at me and went oh you know and then went back to eating and i was just and then i just walked away you know so were you scared <laughs> I was not expecting the moose because I had turned the corner of a, of a fence. Uh, it was like a tall fence outside of the building where I worked. Oh. And I just around the fence and there's a moose right there. And I just, I walked smack into its butt <laughs> right there. I, Cause I was looking down at, you know, you know, I was looking down when I was walking at the ground and I wasn't yeah. looking forward. And I just went, whack, you know, a little yeah. smell, but uh, yeah. <laughs> well, it does. A uh, uh, moose doesn't sound so scary in that story. <laughs> No, no. I just walked, <laughs> it was it's it, it, there was a lot of snow too, so yeah. I just walked across the street and then walked around and went to the other entrance of the building, and the moose was just sat there and just munching on you know twigs <laughs> and stuff. So yeah, wow. Yeah, I I I remember getting chased by a moose, uh, like a moose charging me. <laughs> I didn't realize it was alongside my house, and I walked by, and I was far enough away that I could like I could run, but yeah. It, it terrified me. <laughs> yeah. and, is, it, is this why they pay people to come and live in Alaska? <laughs> <laughs> uh, me. Well, 
<laughs> it sounds dangerous. <laughs> the big danger also is that they're really they're really dumb. Oh. And, like they'll charge you obviously if you're yeah. if they have uh if they have like babies around or calves around, but they're just like people. Yeah, you run into a moose in your car and like you're both dead pretty much, and they'll yeah. just like walk out into the street. Like that's a big problem with all wildlife. Right, yeah. Yeah. But no, they, they can be they can be vicious. <laughs> but I, I didn't mean moose as predators, I just mean like you know, they, <laughs> we don't have to worry about wolves or unless you've seen Moose the movie. Moose the movie. Moose the movie. Ah, yeah. You have not. Oh my gosh. Um, there's there's but, Mooch with Vincent Price. No. Well, yes, there is. But, uh, <laughs> no. Uh, just a few years ago, uh, there was oh. a movie made in Anchorage called Moose the movie, and actually, uh, my friends, the the Mitchell boys, Mitchell brothers, are actually in the film. Oh, and, Chad Carpenter. Several, yes, yeah. Chad Carpenter uh, wrote it and uh, and made the film, and uh, the the cartoonist of Tundra, whom I know, and uh, yeah, it's uh, uh, it's got a bunch of my friends in it, and uh, it's it's a, it's a lot of fun. They actually sent me a DVD when it came out. Nice, yeah. Well, this is in danger of becoming so, like we're going to exclude Carlos from all this discussion, but. <laughs> <laughs> Um, can, can I bring up two other Vincent Price, Price movies that, that, that no, just came well, to mind? We're going to talk about Anchorage a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're here. Um, yes. <laughs> well, I, I'm going through his filmography. There's just so many movies. and But there one one that I for sure want to bring up is uh, a film noir called Lever to Heaven uh, from oh, 1945. Yeah. Uh, I saw this a few years ago. Uh, Anna Bill, I saw at the Arrow and Monica's Leave Her to Heaven paired with The Love Witch and uh, it was uh, the director was there, Anna Biller and she she programmed the film uh, and she cited it as one of the inspirations for The Love Witch so that was really cool um, to have seen. I had never actually heard of the movie until that until that screening um, but I ended up really enjoying the look of it and it's, a, it's, it's kind of like an understated classic uh, noir that I think the Criterion Collection recently uh, released a Blu-ray of it. Um, yeah, but, it's a very good movie. Yeah, it's it's really incredible. I really enjoy that. And yeah, another film with Price and uh, Gene Tierney. Oh, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't realize they. That's a that's three that, that they worked on. But so they were in three uh, or four together. Yeah. Yeah, and that, that's when he had started with 20th Century Fox, and so the, because Laura was such a big hit, they you know kept pairing them. Well, right here and also. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, here's my my shameful admission for this episode, is I have not seen Weaver to Heaven. Ooh, you gotta watch it. I think you'll really enjoy it. I am sure I will love yeah. it. And you know, uh, I'm putting it out there for listeners. In a couple of weeks, we'll be starting Summer in the Shadows, which is going to be a big series of film noir. Like it's going to last a couple of months, and that that some of these titles will probably end up popping up. <laughs> Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, I'm excited for that. I love film noir. Can't wait. Yeah, I think we still got to figure out what you, what we're going to be talking about. Yeah, I know uh, Rick gave me a bunch of titles. So I think we're we know what we're going to be doing, but you and I got to I think still figure yeah, out. Yeah, we we got to yeah we got to talk because the last time it, it's been like a probably like a month since we talked about the noir stuff, and we were still kind of like not sure <laughs> where we wanted to go with that. Um, 
The other movie I want to bring up, and, and, and it, of course, has to do with Vincent Price, but also about who directed it, but um, The Baron of Arizona, uh, directed by Samuel Fuller, yeah. who yeah. is one of the most underrated American directors of like all time. I, there, I don't think there's been a movie that I haven't enjoyed of his, but uh, just uh, this, this, this collaboration with uh, Price and Fuller is really cool. It's a, it's a, it's a Western. You don't see uh, Price do too many of those. And he did a few, I think he did a few TV and uh, some movies, but not too many. Um, but yeah, Baron of Arizona is a really good one too. That's a really good one. I haven't seen that in a long time, but I, yeah. I, I watched it um, probably about a, a decade ago and yeah that was a really interesting yeah movie. yeah early uh early fuller too is and kind of bef- ed wood was a stunt guy on it oh really oh, he was oh i didn't know that the only other the only other western with uh vincent price i remember seeing is more dead than alive yeah which, i haven't seen that one which I, I mean baron of arizona is much better um it's it's vincent price and uh clint walker i think is that who's in it yeah it's clint walker yeah, I, I I found that movie a little boring, but I mean it was still he's he's fine fine in it. It was still enjoyable enough. I felt Clint Walker was a big hero of mine as a child. Oh yeah, yeah. As a, as a like six, seven, eight year old, I was really into Clint Walker. Yeah, I can see that. So uh, I guess we, we we mentioned a little bit a, a bit ago, but I I feel like uh, we should talk a little bit about his. Vincent Price's anthology films because I, I I did want to do an episode on anthology films for this but uh, it, it didn't work out like the the guest I was going to do that with we we just kind of felt like maybe it wasn't the right right thing for the time like he wasn't as, as into it as he thought he would be uh, so we ch- we chucked that idea out but he he's got a few of them um, not all of them are that good most of them aren't but. You know, that, like like I said, I'm a sucker for anthology films. Have you? Um, well, I can think of four: from a whisper to a scream, the Monster Club, Twice Told Tales, and Tales of Terror. And of those, I think Tales of Terror is by far the best. But, yeah, that's actually the only one I've seen, and yeah, that that is a really good one that I enjoy. But I I know Rick does not care for it. I do have a very <laughs> I've, I I feel fondly towards from a whisper to a scream. He did another anthology called Spirits of the Dead. Oh shoot, that's right. That but that he's not he doesn't act in it, but he is the narrator on the English version. Ah, there you okay, go. that's right. That yeah, that's one. Um, uh, Toby Dammit is in that one, right? With Terrence Stamp. Yep. Yeah, that that's a stamp. And that has a uh, it has a. Uh, Elaine Delon and uh, a William Wilson, a version of William Wilson also. Okay. Uh, the only, I really only remember the Toby Dammit section. <laughs> uh, oh. I, 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 I want to rewatch that again because I, I. Whoa. I what a cast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is great. Well, look at who the directors are too. <laughs> oh, Fellini, Louis Malle, Roger Vadim. Wow. Never heard of this. Yeah, another Edgar Allan Poe uh, <laughs> anthology, which I guess explains why Vincent Price was chosen as the narrator over here. They're always trying to milk money out of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Man, what a career. I envy him a little bit. I wish I could have this much fun doing all these. 
I'm just, it's just so amazing. Like I keep going back and forth. I'm like, there's like scream and scream again. Like there's so many movies that I, I like that he's done. And oh, scream and scream again, really? Yeah, yeah. Do you like that one, Rick? What? Scream and scream again. Do you like that one? Uh, not so much. I no, but I've seen it. But yeah, you were saying is that a Vincent Price thing? And I'm like, yeah. Oh no, no. I mean, Eric, really? Like you like that one? <laughs> it's kind oh, of, I, I mean, I don't. Th- I, I don't think it's like a, you know. Like, I, that was rude of me. <laughs> <That> was- <laughs> no, 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 no. I didn't take it that way at all. But I, I mean, I, I enjoy it for what it is. It's, it's not much, but I definitely probably wouldn't recommend it. But I, I just think I just have an affinity for anything price, and I don't know. I mean, it's, it's not the best, but it's pretty cool. Well, that one's got price, uh, Christopher Lee, and Peter. Yeah, Cushing. Peter Cushing. Yeah, and they yeah. did. They did two movies together and they're both like, I find them incredibly disappointing. The other one being house of long shadows. Yeah. They're just okay. That was another one that I I thought like, Oh, I want to, somebody mentioned that they wanted to do scream and scream again or house of long shadows. (laughs) And I said, well, let's do both of them because it's the two movies that star all three of them. And then they changed their mind and I was, I was kind of happy about it because I would like to discuss them with somebody, but they're not, like I, I would have felt bad just covering the movies only to say like I don't like these. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> have you guys seen Journey into Fear? Uh, I, I I've seen the original version that had uh, uh, Orson Welles in it. Yeah, like, yeah. Oh, that's the one I've seen. That's the one. I've yeah, seen. I, I've not seen, yeah. I've seen the '75 TV remake, but yeah. uh, I see that it is available on disc, so I may have to be grabbing it here soon. Oh yeah, yeah. This is interesting. I didn't. I found on Amazon this morning, actually, yeah. and I was like, "Yeah, I may have to get that." Well, I wanted to bring up a couple films that are outside of the horror realm because we were kind of on that tack there, and I didn't get to throw these in. I was kind of thinking back to how I was introduced to Vincent Price, and it wasn't through horror films. It was mostly through television, seeing him a, a lot on television as a kid in the seventies. Um, but one of the earliest films I saw him in was. Uh, the Gene Kelly version of the Three Musketeers. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, Vincent Price plays Cardinal, Cardinal mm-hmm. Richelieu. In it. Yeah. And so, yeah, and he and he just kind of, he's just so blustery and you know pissy, you know, in the role. Yeah. <laughs> and you just really hate the guy, you know. It's just. Yeah, it's it's so weird because that that movie. I haven't, I, I like randomly, it was just like on TCM and I just like, oh, I guess I'll watch it. It was like super late night, but I ended up really actually enjoying that. I didn't even know he was in it too, but it's just one of those like memories that I have of me wa- just staying up <laughs> as a yeah. teenager, just watching whatever was on TCM. So yeah, I guess I'll watch this. I, I knew a few people that are in it and yeah, it's, yeah, I totally forgot that he was in that. I, I didn't see, I think maybe the first horror film I saw of his was probably House of Blacks, probably when I was about 13 or 14. And that, But I did not see most of his other horror stuff until I was in my 20s. I did not see any of the Corman films until I was in my 20s. Um, when you mentioned that, I was trying to think back. I can't remember what my first Vincent Price was. I'm thinking it, it must have been House on Haunted Hill, but I couldn't be too sure but there's nothing else that, that that we've talked about that really that would fit that like around that time when I was kind of exploring movies. I think it might have been House on Haunted Hill um, for me, and then just kind of from there. 
But I, I always like knew about him too, which is weird because I hadn't seen him in much. Because he was on, he was in everything. I mean, yeah, he was, yeah. He was in over a thousand t- TV episodes. So yeah. he is well, also- nine hundred of them were over nine hundred of them were Hollywood Squares. But uh, <laughs> you know, he was still in over a thousand TV episodes, and uh, he was all over the place. And you just couldn't escape him. He was at Sears. You went to Sears. They had at least when I was a kid they had like his his uh artwork galleries and stuff and where he chose the art that was sold at sears and and i mean he was all over the place but when i was a kid probably about i think it was like seven i turned seven and the the saturday morning cartoons there was a new series when i was seven called the curiosity shop and it was uh it was like a sesame street style uh kid show uh produced by chuck jones and uh, what I remember as a kid uh, was mostly the Vincent Price episode where the shop became like a haunted house. And, uh, and Vincent Price was the, he wasn't on the show regularly. He was a guest on that episode. It was the Halloween episode. And that got scary. And the show itself had puppets, you know, it had all these different characters. But then the puppets also were kind of scary also because they turned it into a haunted house. But yeah, they, they had like a puppet named Automatopia, and he only spoke in sounds. <laughs> he was like a, he was like this multi multi armed uh, he was like this white multi armed creature. And I remember uh, we had a bunk bed in our house, and and they had Curiosity Shop stickers, these like little felt stickers or something in cereal boxes at that time because they're promoting the show. And we had gotten a couple of them, and we also had a couple of the toys too that came out. And we had and we had stuck them on the end of the bunk bed. And then that peeled off after like about a year or so. The little automatopoeia sticker, but this little spider-like body was always on the end of the bed for like the rest of the time that we had that bunk bed for like the next you know decade or so. And so you always looked at it and I always remember that was automatopoeia. And it's the only way I knew that word, you know, <laughs> until I found that, that yeah. I real word. Yeah. <laughs> but I wonder, but yeah, we had this little automatopoeia sticker that was that a little spot that represented where he had been for like a decade. I wonder but, if that's where Kevin Smith got the idea for the character onomatopoeia, the, the Green Arrow Batman villain he created. It could be. Oh, yeah, maybe. Yeah, that makes and sense. he's of a similar age to me. So yeah, that's yeah. why I was thinking that that. Yeah. Maybe, he had a similar, I mean, it's, it, that is just what the word means, but it does seem like, oh, maybe he just had that, that in the back of his head. Yeah, that could be, because I mean, that's exactly how I remembered that word. I, uh, I didn't know any characters when I was a kid called a, that were named <laughs> ellipsis. I know the word now, but you know, for years I had no idea what an ellipsis was. <laughs> so <laughs> if they had a puppet character named ellipsis, I'd know what it is by now. So. so puppets work in as as far as education. Exactly. <laughs> I was obsessed with puppets still. Yeah. Had, so, you know, it was that's probably why I remembered Curiosity Shop more than I remember. Well, I, re- I remember every shop scene, but I mean the why I remembered it more is because it had puppets on it. And yeah. Vincent Price, apparently. So <laughs> but yeah, that's kind of when and my mom explained to me who he was. And I was just, oh, he's like a he plays a villain in lots of movies and all this. And I just remember. And he became a, a name in my head. And then, of course, the rest of the 70s, he shows up on Carol Burnett and Donnie and Marie and everywhere. Everywhere there's a, anytime there's like a, a Halloween episode of anything, there would be Vincent Price popping up. And it was just like, yeah, he just became part of my life before I even saw most of his films. 
Yeah, I'm. I was trying to figure out when I first saw, uh, like, became aware of Vincent Price, and it honestly might have been the thriller video. I could see that. And I was just like thinking of my age because there came a yeah. point where I did just realize he was kind of in my head. Like I, I don't I, like he was just Vincent Price because yeah. um, it could have been like then other things I would have seen like. Uh, uh the great mouse detective and the thief <laughs> oh and the yeah fantastic. and the thief and the cobbler and so like he he would have been a voice like i know i saw those when i was a kid edward scissorhands when i was about 12 so i i don't know what my intro to him was it wasn't until i was in my early 20s that i started to really get into his horror movies i mean it, when i was in high school i rented things like the tingler and and house on haunted hill but i didn't get into um, certainly not the Corman pictures, the Poe films, until I started working at Suncoast and around the time I met you, Rick. Yeah. Because that's, that's, Rick and I met because he was a big uh, movie buyer or, or would come in a lot. And I started to notice that uh, you were buying a lot of the things that I was really into. And so I would start seeing stuff come in and be like, oh, when this guy comes in, I'll, I'll let him know this arrived. And that, that's how, that's how Rick and I met. Like, yeah. Not quite. One day he called me at home and said, hey, this is coming in. And I'm like, okay. And we started <laughs> chatting on the phone. And then next time I went over there, we just started hanging out all the time. So but, but that's beautiful, man. <laughs> I know. But that was That was when I started to like really buy anything I saw come in that had been, not everything, but just like those MGM Midnight Movies double features. And uh, that's how the, the Roger Corman films were starting to come out on dvd i'd buy any of those that i saw in the store and so that's that's when vincent price started to become a, a figure that i would like actively watch in movies but I, I just can't i can't figure out like where he was before that and it's probably like you said he was on tv a lot i think one of my earlier memories is a simpsons quote where uh marge is calling like there's a vincent price product that's faulty and so she calls the helpline and it's vincent price but it, it, dan castle and Etta doing vincent price and she just yells i loved you in dr fives and uh, <laughs> the end of the phone call she is lisa going so is he alive or dead and uh, <laughs> that uh, that's one of my like i i still think about that clip a lot i posted it on twitter the other day because i honestly think about it um, which is weird because you know over 30 years ago when simpson started he was alive. <laughs> I, don't, I think he had. I don't think he was because the 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 voice was like Vincent Price from Beyond the Grave. And, yeah, and they were. But it's this weird thing that Simpsons has been around long enough where you have to think about it. You know. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna. I gotta look and see what year that came out. What 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 uh that episode what episode that was. It's Vincent Price's Egg Magic is the product that's not working. Um, is that supposed to be an Egghead reference? Oh, hey. From Batman? Oh, no. oh Batman. that's it. That that must be it. <laughs> no, I was watching the Batman, in uh, the Batman 66 series in reruns a lot in yeah. the late 80s, early 90s on Fox. After I get home from school, Fox would be playing like stuff like the Brady Bunch and uh <laughs> yeah and and 
uh, Batman and MASH. And I remember I watched Batman every day. So I must have seen Vincent Price on there. As a kid. Yeah, that's... And I, I would say Batman was probably my first experience seeing Vincent Price, but I was watching Batman when I was two. So <laughs> it, it's, it, it was, it yeah. So I was two years old when that show started and it's in my baby book um, as my favorite, as my favorite thing in oh the world. And it's, and it's a uh, uh, favorite TV show. And it says bat because I couldn't say Batman as a kid. I could say Batbot. That's adorable. So, yeah. but So I probably saw Vincent Price first then, but I had no idea who he was, you know. And I'm going to... Yeah. I'm gonna, and I didn't see the runs of it until like a few years later. Oh. Well, I, I got to go back on what I said about The Simpsons, because I said it was like an early Simpsons. It was not an early Simpsons. I'm completely misremembering this. Uh, I would have known if Vincent Price was by this time. It, it aired in 1999. Oh, so. yeah. <laughs> Here's that. Yeah. Yeah, that's the problem with The Simpsons. I always think like, oh, that's an early Simpsons episode. Yeah. And then I look at the air days like 2005. <laughs> like, oh, that's, <laughs> that's, that's it's been around forever now. It's in its yeah. fourth, you know. Yeah, that's that's also that's such a like an interesting show because of the, how full of pop culture references <laughs> and a lot of the things that don't, didn't make sense as a kid make sense now when I rewatch some of the episodes like wow that like it's so much clearer just how in touch they were with pop culture and movies and music and uh, oh, yeah. television and, and and math and writing just all these different influences that, that come into the show and and it, it, if it's the way I see it if it's on the Simpsons it must mean something to at least Western culture. Like it has right. to have some meaning if it's on that show, if a, if a person guests on that show, um, if something is parried on that show, it's because it means something to at least Western culture. Yeah, it has some sort of status in pop culture. Yeah, exactly. And I, I mean, and that's just like Vincent Price, he's, I, I, he's there. I've, like we're, yeah. we're having trouble kind of, well, at least me deciding when I was introduced to Vincent Price, but I always felt like I always knew about Vincent Price the same way that I always knew about yeah. Charlie Chaplin. I don't know what my entry point was, but I always knew about Charlie Chaplin. I saw his image everywhere. I a clip somewhere. It, it's just he, he's just one of those personas that just kind of hopefully you know sticks around for a really long time. My entry point for Chaplin was Shaky's Pizza. <laughs> Okay. Uh, what's the wait what's this shaky's pizza um back back in the early days of shaky's pizza yeah. they would show at least the one in anchorage um they would show old silent movies oh. and so anytime you went to shaky's you got pizza you got your mojos and you watched uh, old charlie chaplin and buster keaton films and so yeah. uh that's and, really cool yeah I wish my shaky's and then they get away with that after a few years i mean when yeah I got yeah on but for a long time, yeah, they used to have pictures. I actually, when they closed the ones in Anchorage, I went to an estate sale and I actually got a couple of the framed pictures of the Marx Brothers that they had in the restaurant. Oh, that's cool. And I also got a couple of the things from that. Like I have a plate that's from Shakey's, you know, that I got for like, yeah, I spent like 30 cents on it or whatever. Yeah. But I have, I still have that plate. You know? <laughs> that's so cool. <laughs> yeah. Is that where you got your Blazing Saddles poster? 
No, that Blazing Saddles poster is another story, but yeah. Okay. Uh, that, that used to be in the Red Robin in Anchorage. Okay, he had a, a Blazing Saddles. Do you still have that? I do. I'll take a picture. I'll send it to you guys. Oh, okay. Yeah, I want to see that. Yeah. It, it's, yeah, it's a, it's it's framed and it's it's a box it's box framed, right? So the poster is at the back of the box. It's about it's about four inches deep. Uh, uh, there's like a hill of of beans. Uh, the last, the last third of the of the frame inside the frame, piled up in front of the poster is a bunch of beans. <laughs> it, it's really cool. It's actually yeah. sitting, it's actually sitting outside my door. That's oh, nice, really cool, nice. Yeah, it's very cool. Well, geez, now I, I I'm trying to get back to Vincent Price, but uh... <laughs> this is what happens on Three Headed Podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> Really <laughs> going tangents. <laughs> no, I, I'm just. Oh, I'm, I, I'm I gotta just ask you guys. I gotta ask you guys. So I'm gonna. Mm. I'm gonna do this, and then you can ask. Well, I mean, you know, I've seen most of the films, but I'm gonna ask you guys: Have either of you seen the story of mankind? I have not. No. Have what you heard that? of this movie? I have heard of it. I have not. <laughs> so it's this nuts film from the late '50s. Uh, directed by Irwin Allen, who did Lost in Space and you know Valley of the, Valley of the Giants and all those films, um, all those shows, uh, and all the disaster films in the seventies, you know the big ones. That was all Irwin Allen. Uh, but he started out ah, in, yeah. in the fifties. He directed this movie called The Story of Mankind, and um, uh, there's a like there's like this 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 book that was very popular. It, it won like the I think the Newbery Award uh, for children's literature, and it's and it's quite literally the story of mankind. So this movie is supposed to be that adaptation of, of that nonfiction children's book, um, which is you know just absolutely everything that's happened to mankind. But in this movie, it has nothing to do with the book. <laughs> so um, uh, mankind has developed this bomb. Uh, it threatens the universe, basically. So, uh, not God, but this outer space court uh, is trying mankind. is is trying man to see whether he should he should live or not. Is it uh, for is it Q? What? Yeah, sure, it, it can be Q. <laughs> so the devil, Mister Scratch, is played by Vincent Price, and he's prosecuting all of mankind in this space court. Oh my and, God. <laughs> and Ronald Coleman uh, is, is the spirit of man. He's defending mankind. And it basically goes through history, right? It goes to all these different points in history when man has been good and when man has been evil. And, and basically each side is trying to show why mankind is worthy or not worthy. And then there's like a ton of guest stars playing all the historical yeah. figures. I was going to say, can I read? Because I'm looking it up now. Can I can I list some of the, the people Go that are it. in this? Go for it. Okay, so Hedy Lamar as Joan of Arc. <laughs> Groucho Marx as Peter Minuit. Harpo Marx as Sir Isaac Newton. Uh, Chico Marx is in it as a monk. Virginia Mayo as Cleopatra. Agnes Moorhead, Queen Elizabeth I. Peter Laurie, Nero. Charles Coburn, Hippocrates. Cedric Hardwick as a high judge, Cesar Romero as a Spanish envoy, John Carradine as Pharaoh Khufu, Dennis Hopper as Napoleon. Oh, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I I don't know some of the other ones, but it, and it goes this, on and on. Uh, yeah, it, it's just stacked. Like, <laughs> this is and, uh, Edward yeah. Edward Horton, uh, who narrated the fairy tales on Bullwinkle and Rocky. You know. Yeah. Uh, uh, but yeah, tons of people um, in this movie playing these historical figures. It's terrible to use Charles Barkley's. <laughs> it's terrible, and. Uh, I own this thing on DVD because when it came out on Warner Archive, I was like, I've been looking for, I've seen this movie as a teenager and I knew it was terrible when I first saw it, but because it had the Marx Brothers in it, I knew I had to get it eventually. But back then I didn't even know there was DVD at the night. Yeah. Well, I saw it, you know, before there was even VHS. So when I found out it was coming out on Warner Archive, I was like, I gotta get that. And I like got it right away and it's still terrible. <laughs> <laughs> It's like it's not the most enjoyable watch, but it is in a cheese factor kind of way. But it's not all the funny stuff is really not all that funny. But this was the last film that all three Marx Brothers uh, did together, oh. and I mean, it, yeah, it was their very last film together. It was 1957, and it's the only film they ever made in color, in Technicolor. All of their films were in black and white before this. Well, so it, it sounds like a must see for several reasons, even if yeah. it's. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> for the uh, and actually, if you, like, look here on, on it says right here on, on the Wikipedia thing. Uh, it's in the 50 worst films of all time book that was put out by the Medved brothers back in the, you know, back in the 80s, which, you know, I have in my collection. Um, but yeah, <laughs> so I, I grew up not just having read about this movie but i'd seen it as a teenager and go oh yeah i know how bad this movie is <laughs> but of course price is terrific as always playing the devil you know he's he's actually one of the better parts of the he's just so slimy you know in the in the role so yeah. uh yeah absolutely yeah. It, it's still a must watch even though it's an absolutely terrible film oh no i'm definitely going to watch it <laughs> yeah i want to watch it too i love terrible movies that doesn't deter me from anything. Oh yeah, not me. <laughs> as people I know, I was like, ah, yeah, I'm in. <laughs> I always, I just always take it as a challenge. I hear yeah, about something yeah. that'd be so. It's like, yeah, I'm watching that. And and also, I mean, as uh, someone, you know, <coughs> someone's trash is someone else's treasure. Like there are movies that people hate, uh, scream and scream again. Um, that <laughs> <laughs> uh, that you know, other people might enjoy, and I, I, I like that, especially when you go into like deep dive into kind of like trashier movies. Um, there's always something for someone, and yeah. I never like I never like judge people like. Oh, you know, I like uh, Skidoo or something like, yeah, like, I like it too. Or, you know, even if it's something I don't like, it's just, it's so particular that it, it like touches people in different ways. And uh, maybe that's what, it, what attracts me to Vincent Price because I'll never know what I'll get. It's just like, it's kind of like a gamble, but he's always fun to watch. So, yeah, I, like I agree. And I, I'm with you on that because I, I mean, I like a lot of movies that people, consider terrible I, I like a lot of movies that are maybe objectively mm -hmm. terrible yeah but i i always go into a movie and i always find i'm always trying to be on the movie's side like i'm always trying to find yeah what works about it <laughs> yeah and and so maybe i'm i am more prone to like something but i mean we we've already talked about how much i love the beyond and that is a, a terrible movie like <laughs> right like it, yeah. but but it's your terrible movie so yeah yeah you're owning it yeah, I was gonna say I I don't go into a film on the movie side. I go into the film. I try I try to go into a film 
completely neutral. I don't want to be on its side and I don't want to be against it. I just want to be in the middle and then I let the movie play out. And if it hits certain markers in me, either way, that's where it is in my head. And it's like, but I, I do not try to be on the movie side. I try to just be, all right, what do you got? But yeah. I also, but I also, approach. yeah, I, but I, yeah. And now sometimes it's hard because you've been waiting, you know, for four years for that new Godzilla movie and you go in and go, yeah, Godzilla, 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 you know, and uh, I, it's, it's a little hard to do that. But when I sit down in that movie seat, I go, thrill me, you know, I do the Tom Atkins, thrill me. And it's like, throw me. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 you know, that it's, that's where, it's, that's where the movie has to prove it to me. Well, I, I will say then, if you're okay with this, Carlos, we should do Scream and Scream again sometime in the future. Maybe we'll do a, a, a Halloween episode. But oh um, yeah, I'm down. I, I'm I watched I watched it a couple times because in my memory that movie is always like it's so fascinating to me. I don't know why I don't like it, but all our, like the stuff that sticks out is like kind of constantly being surprised like oh yeah this is kind of a sci-fi movie like a, a yeah dystopian sci-fi movie that's a mad scientist thing so it's mm -hmm. also, it's a serial killer slash yep. mad also there's the one character that keeps waking up missing different limbs <laughs> like every time we cut back to him he's he's missing a leg and an arm and uh like yeah. i don't know i i will i want to give that movie a shot i will i will watch it Without any preconceptions, <laughs> I'll talk to you about it if you're down for it. Oh, yeah, I'm down to revisit that. So, um, let's see, the movies I did this, uh, what was I, I'm, I'm trying to look here at the movie, or think here of the movies we did. So you you and I, Rick, we did Dr. Fives. Uh, you and I, Carlos, did Last Man on Earth. And then we did The Bat and House on Haunted Hill. And... Oh, Witchfinder General, and I didn't actually do any of the Poe films. I did a couple of movies that were marketing themselves as Poe films, but I didn't do any of this. Well, I would say that's Poe planning on your part. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know if anybody listened to it, but did you see that the episode that I did there was Faux Poe? Yep. The, the Witchfinder yeah. General. <laughs> um, were there any... Uh, I, I was actually a little bit surprised that we didn't do any actual Poe films. Um, I thought for sure somebody would want to do both of the uh, William Castle films, but it was just uh, House on Haunted Hill. Um, any any big uh, any big gaps there? Like anything you think I should have done, or like what are what are some other ones that you you think should have been discussed? Well, I think we should throw uh, throw a bone towards Tim Burton there and talk about Vincent. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's right. And, and with that, probably Edward Scissorhands, too. Mm -hmm. So, um, um, there's, al there's also always next year. I mean, you know. there's a, well, next year obviously is going to be Peter Cushing or Christopher Lee. And then the year of that is the one that it wasn't that next year. So, yeah. you got three years to get around to Vincent Price again. Oh, well, I guess, Carlos, that means we got to wait like three more years. But that's actually what I was thinking. <laughs> I was thinking next year, Peter Cushing and then Vincent Price. Or not Vincent Price. Yeah, Christopher Well, Lee. it wouldn't be Hedley Lamar. <laughs> or Hedley Lamar. Hedley. Hedley. It's 1876. You can sue her. <laughs> yeah, that. that I, I recently, not recently, I guess it was last year, but 
I guess that's recent. Um, I had to rewatch uh, Blazing Saddles for the podcast. And I remember the first time I saw it, I just thought it was okay. But the second time, I something clicked because I thought that movie was hilarious. And that line uh, about su- suing Hedy Lamar was hilarious. I, I had to pause it and rewind because I just kept, it was just so funny to me. <laughs> it's such a good line. When I was a kid, yeah, uh, I first saw Blazing Saddles when they aired it on CBS. Because so, <laughs> it, it came out when I was like nine. Yeah, and I did not get to see it in the theater because that would not have <laughs> bother at the time, even though he loves the film and, yeah. and watched it with him several times since then. But uh, when I was a kid, I saw it when it played on TV. And let me tell you, when it's played on CBS in the late 70s and they cut all the farts out of the Cowboys sitting around the campfire <laughs> and they're all making and they're all making, you know, so there's no there's no going on, but they are all going, whoa, whoa, whoa and they're waving their hats. It actually makes the farts more realistic. <laughs> <laughs> Because it means they're all silent but deadlies. So. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's nuts. I can't but, believe they took that out. Yeah, but I didn't. But when I watched it, I didn't know about the farting scene. So <laughs> because I we just watched it, and I had I didn't know anything about the film. So I I found out when I went to school the next day from my friends that there were supposed to be all these farts that were supposed to be there, and I was like, what? You know, because. <laughs> no internet in those days so you know you didn't know anything but like yeah now um but yeah so when you finally saw like the uncensored version which which was funnier like 40 times in a week (laughs) (laughs) it became one of my very favorite movies yeah Yeah, that's a good which i quote every single day of my life so um that reminds me i can't remember I mean, this is a tangent that doesn't have anything to do with anything, but the the taking the fart sounds out. There was a um, uh, some SNL oral history I was reading years ago. They were talking about a uh, a Thanksgiving Day uh, uh, Thanksgiving Day sketch where they were going to cut the turkey and like a comedic amount a geyser of blood was going to come out of it. Yep. But the prop master kept kept like making it a small trickle of blood and they'd be like, well, we need a geyser. And they're like, it's not realistic. It wouldn't be that much blood. And so when the thing was filmed and like they, they tried it with the, just the trickle of blood that what was going to be a big laugh line just ended up being incredibly disturbing because it looked like, well, that's a conceivable amount of blood that would be inside of that Turkey. (laughs) I seem to recall. I thought that was the, the, uh, the, the Ginsu knife thing with Dan Aykroyd. Oh, with uh, yeah, with Dan Aykroyd playing uh, um, Julia Child. Oh, okay, maybe that's what it was. I it it was. All, like... I, all I remember is that he he cuts his thumb off. He cuts his thumb off, and he starts bleeding, and it's like like this little about, and then there's like a shooting jet of geyser of blood all over the place. He's like, oh my god, oh my god, you know. Um, that's I don't remember the turkey one, but I do remember they had a they had the bloody effect with very early in the series with uh with uh, them doing Julia Child. Okay, maybe that I, um, hold on. And, and you might be right. I just don't recall the Turkey episode, but I do recall the-, the, the... I don't remember the sketch at all. I just remember reading about it. Yeah, anyway, regardless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, we were, we were gonna talk about Vincent and 
the you know the Tim Burton Vincent Price stop motion uh, short. Uh, he did while well. he was a conceptual artist at Disney, I believe. He was still working at Disney at the time. Um, uh, he, uh, well, it was it was actually made at Disney. So okay, okay. I just remember he he left for, or did he always stay with Disney? I thought he like left. He was with Disney through. Uh, he left Disney, I think, uh, during uh, uh, the Black Cauldron, which would have been a few years later. Okay, I always forget he, what he, year the Black Cauldron came out. He did some of the design of Black Cauldron. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, that, that I knew. I knew. I, like that, but I, I just I keep forgetting that like yeah. what year that came out. That that movie is like it's such an outlier for Disney in my mind. Yeah. It, it also it, a lot of it feels like Lord of the Rings too in that movie. Yeah, the Bakshi Lord of the Rings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very much. It, it's they obviously had seen Lord of the Rings when they were designing the film because there's there there is some of that feel in it. But it, I mean, it's also. I mean, you could also say it has that feel because it's also high fantasy. So, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if I ever saw the, I mean, it's what, what started the relationship between Tim Burton and Vincent Price led to Vincent Price being in um, Edward Scissorhands, which is. Well, how about this? So uh, Burton, Burton was an artist on Lord of the Rings. Oh, was he? He was an artist on Lord of the Rings as well as the Black Cauldron. And he was an animator on Tron and Fox and the Hound. Wow. I didn't yeah. know any of that. Yep. Fox he's and the also, Hound too? Really? Yep. He's also a Muppet. Oh. also a performer in the Muppet movie. He, he, he uh, does a puppet. He does one of the Muppets. I, wow. That's a, I'm, I, I didn't know about that, any of that. I mean, I, I knew he worked with Disney. I didn't think he had like a, huge career there because i thought he i i mean i just know that his designs were, were respected but not considered very disney-ish <laughs> so i know he had some kind of like high power allies at the the studio but i i just i didn't realize his roots went that deep in animation i should say yeah no yeah he was his career at that point was as an animator animator and storyboard artist uh when, when did you first see vincent aaron um I don't think I had, I saw it until maybe the Nightmare Before Christmas DVD had it on it. Oh, okay. Hmm. Which would have been, you know, late. That would have been late 90s, mid late 90s. Well, late 90s if it's DVD. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I didn't see it at the time. Right. I mean, I, where would it have aired? Um, I saw it at the Capri Cinema in Anchorage. Oh, really? Um, yep. Yeah, I'm... I, don't recall. I'd have to look at my programs. It was either a Spike and Mike or it was a, the General Chaos uh, Animation Festival that, that appeared there. I can't remember which one it was, but I, I'm leaning towards Spike and Mike. But they they brought those up there for a couple of years. Yeah, I remember. I remember seeing a couple of those, but they would have been later than that. Yeah, but that, that's how that's how see it at at. Uh... Oh yeah, it was. Uh... It was uh, Spike and Mike's Festival of Animation. Okay. I just looked it up. Yeah, so I, I would... Uh, it was stunning to me because, I mean, I, it was... they That was the one film in the program that they promoted above the other ones because, you know, Tim Burton had been a name by that point with the Batman and with the Pee Wee. So, uh, um, yeah, getting to see that was just, like, jaw-dropping to me. It was like... 
oh, it was like a holy grail. <laughs> he was like, oh, I get to see this, you know, stop motion animation by Tim Burton. It was so cool. And it's it holds up today. It's just so gorgeous and well done. Yeah, I watch it just about every time we watch Nightmare Before Christmas, which we we, we do almost every year. My It is one of the five movies that we have to watch every Christmas season with uh, with our daughter. Right. And so I watch it just about every time I put the DVD in. Um, but that, of course, led to uh, him being cast in, in Edward Scissorhands, which is a small role, but like, I think that's just such a, a memorable role, especially for, you know, people uh, maybe of, of our generation. Uh, well, I'm kind of in between you two, but um, I just think like, maybe I should say people of my generation at that time, that that's certainly like a- What generation is that, Aaron? Well, it's the tail end of Gen X. <laughs> I am I am the youngest Gen X, and I am the oldest Gen X. So okay, <laughs> I'm, either, I'm either the latest baby boomer, or I'm the oldest Gen X. I'm on the cusp. So yeah, I'm I'm right there. And uh, Amber has just discovered they're considered a geriatric uh, geriatric millennial, but it's all made up. It doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I am also a millennial. Yeah. I'm just, I'm, I'm keeping, I'm, I'm, I've decided, I've always, for a long time, I was kind of proud, like, oh, yeah, I'm like the last year, the baby boomers and blah, blah, blah. So I'm kind of in with that group too. But now that's the, the okay boomer gender, you know, time of, of, of <laughs> yeah, I'm like, well, no, I'm Gen X, man. Like, <laughs> it also sounds, sounds much cooler to say Gen X. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think, I mean, it, this is kind of going back to what we were talking about, about our first introductions or like when we became aware of Vincent Price. But I, I kind of feel like he's, I mean, through his ubiquitousness or ubiquity on television, he's also one of those people like, uh, well, like Peter Lorre or Clark Gable or all these actors that I knew because I was watching a lot of cartoons as a kid. Like, like when I was watching the old Looney Tunes with Humphrey Bogart impersonations or Clark Gable or Peter Lorre would show up a lot. I didn't know who those actors were until years later. And I have a feeling like Vincent Price is kind of one of those people. Um, I don't I don't remember if they've actually he appears or it was parodied in any of those cartoons. I just think he kind of falls into that where he's just around so much and parodied or or impersonated in so many things. Yeah, that's true. There was a lot of that, like in, uh, anim uh, at least for me when I was growing up, Animaniacs, there was a lot of like Jim Morrison and oh, yeah. Vincent Price and people like that, that, that would get mentioned on that, on, on that show that I didn't know who they were until way, you know, way later, way down the line. Yeah, that, that show at Freakazoid is another one where they just mentioned yes. all going, do the kids today even mm -hmm. know who these people are? <laughs> I'm finding it hilarious, but yeah. you know. Well, I, I, I think... I hear that argument a lot about cartoons that uh, people are like, oh, th these are jokes for the adults in the room. The kids aren't going to care. But I, I'm then I think back well, to Rocky and Rocky and Bullwinkle was the same way. And that yeah. was years before that. And that's just it. That that type of humor is my favorite type of humor. I love referential humor, especially in animation. Um, but, but Bugs Bunny did it all the time, too. You know, where they make references that were current in the day. 
and then we, we were watching you know, generations later and going, oh, what? Who the, who, the, who the heck is Al Jolson? And then you have to look it up. <sighs> and you go, but to me, that's how you learn things, you know? Yeah. So That's true. Well, yeah, because I certainly as a kid wasn't thinking like, oh, this joke isn't for me. This stupid show, I'm not going to understand this Peter Laurie impersonation. I didn't. I didn't care. I, I mean, I liked it all. And then years later, I learned who Peter Laurie was and I appreciated it on a different level. Um, but I, I mean, everything's all written by like older men anyway, or women now. What did I say? Right. Yeah. But everything's written by like an older generation. That's, that's kind of like writing to themselves or an idea. Yeah. Trying to sell something to a younger generation, you know? So the the references are always going to be out of date. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Anything else we should we should cover? Any other uh, any other facets? I, I mean, there's a lot we could talk about. There's a lot of movies we haven't mentioned, but I mean, just anything else anybody wants. I, to I'd like to throw in a couple movies that uh, you know I, I don't and I, again I don't know if you guys have seen these movies, but they have very rich roles for Vincent Price in them, and they're way outside the the horror genre. Um, have you guys seen His Kind of Woman? No. Which is uh, a Robert Mitchum film with and Jane Russell film uh, from the early 50s. It's a film noir, um, but, and there's like, there's a whole thing going on in the film, uh, but one of the characters is played by Vincent Price, and the character is of this movie, this famous movie actor. And uh, at first, you think Price isn't going to be too involved in the film. You just kind of think he's just kind of there as, as, as kind of wallpaper for a bit. And then his part in that film grows and grows and grows. And it's so enjoyable watching what happens with his character in that film. And, uh, and I'm not going to say too much about it because I don't want to give away anything in the film. But it's very enjoyable. Um, but that, that's called His Kind of Woman, uh, directed by uh, John Farrow. And uh, um, yeah, it's a recommend for me on that one. And then another one is called Champagne for Caesar. And I saw this one for the first time in the past year. Um, and a very enjoyable comedy uh, about uh, a, a, a guy played by Ronald Coleman, uh, who is, uh, goes on a quiz show. And he's like, he's like this expert, right? He's like a he's like a mega brain, and he goes in this quiz show, and uh, and wins like a huge amount of money. Um, but the quiz show is uh, um, sponsored. the The sponsor is this this soap company, and it's owned by Vincent Price's character. And then there's like a romantic triangle going on in it, and it's all kind of tied up in the quiz show kind of uh, uh, hysteria going on in the fifties, not before you know the, the 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 scandals in the late 50s but this could easily tie into that because it is all about possible cheating on the show and all this stuff um but it, again uh, surprising things happen with vincent price's character in this movie and i, I i'm not once again i'm not going to give away anything uh but a quite enjoyable comedy that's really satirical really makes fun of the entertainment industry and uh, and big corporations and stuff and uh, but another recommend for me. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. I'll have to I'll have to check that out. One that I watched a couple of years ago that I enjoyed quite a, I, I enjoyed I mean I should I say quite a bit but it, it was kind of modest pleasures. Um, 
it's got a couple of different titles, but Rage of the Buccaneers. Uh, it has, and that is one I've not seen. And I was trying to find a decent version of it this weekend, and they're all like all shitty that I can find. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it wasn't the greatest, and unfortunately, in this one, you don't get to hear Vincent Price's voice because it's an Italian film. He's dubbed, but it it's got Ricardo Montalban in it as well. I think Ricardo Montalban is the it, it, well, Ricardo Montalban is the hero, but he's um, he's basically fighting the slave trade in uh, uh, what would it have been like sixteen hundreds? Um, Haiti? What? No, <laughs> no. Nice. I said Haiti because they had like a slave. Oh, I'm, I, I'm I'm actually I was just like kind of looking to see what what the like where it took place, but um, yeah, no, it it, it is. Uh, what I found says San Salvador. Oh, okay. That yeah, that one was kind of fun. It was um, kind of a swashbuckling adventure and yeah, uh, enjoyable. I, I only wish that you'd been able to hear Vincent Price's voice, but uh, yeah, of course, it wasn't the greatest quality. Either. Yeah. I, I watched that the same day I watched War Gods of the Deep, which yeah. which which is also kind of modestly enjoyable, mainly because yeah. it has some some fishmen in it. And it's a Jacques Tourneur. <laughs> uh, man. Oh, was that one Jacques Tourneur as well? Yep. Oh, I didn't realize that. Man. Yeah, I love Jacques Tourneur. Yeah. Deep cut right there. <laughs> All right. Well, um, I think uh, now is good enough time as I need to wrap up. I don't know if anybody could hear the screaming. I, I put my microphone down because my daughter like took a tumble right outside the door and was crying, and I ran to go check. <laughs> I just hear the screaming I normally hear in my head. Oh, okay. <laughs> Everything's all good for you then. Yeah. Okay. Above board. So I gotta, I gotta tell you, there's one film on his filmography that just drives me nuts that I can't find it. Uh, and that's Green Hell. Green Hell. Which is directed by James Whale, and I have yet to see this movie mainly because I want to complete my James Whale collection, but. Um, but yeah, it's a 1940 film with Douglas Fairbanks Jr. and Joan Bennett and George Sanders and Alan Hale. And uh, I, yeah, I keep looking for this movie every few months. I go online and look for it. And of course, what comes up is mostly Monster from Green Hell, the 1950s horror, you know, sci-fi film. Oh, yeah. Giant insect movie. Um, and it's like, oh, why can't I have a different title? <laughs> it's like, but yeah, I'm just like frustrated as hell. This is, I mean, it's a James Whale movie. You, it, mm. I don't care what the quality is. You'd think somebody would have put it out. The Universal film too. Yeah, I bet that might be the problem is that Universal like hides a lot of their films. And it's not supposed to be very good either, but I want to see it. It's just, it's kind of like, just kind of, kind of nagging at me. A print is preserved in the Library of Congress collection, Packard Campus for audio-visual conservation. That lot of good it does, everybody who can't see it. Yeah. It means we have the hope of seeing it someday. Maybe someday somebody will go, well, I dug in the archives and I'll show it on TCM. But uh, Has TCM never aired it? Because the first thing that comes up is a TCM.com listing for it. But the TCM.com listings are just like IMDb. They just yeah. put every movie that's possible to put in there. Because you find movies in there that they've never shown on the show, on, mm. the, on, the, on the station. So it's just in their database. So that doesn't, unless they have a listing for when they showed it. Because sometimes if they've showed it on the air, they'll, they will list when they've shown it. Uh, 
Well, they have notes. The viewed print was missing the opening credits. Production credits are from reviews. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I don't I don't see anything on here that says they showed it. So now I was just seeing like there's never been a release like a video. Uh, nope, I looked for it. Man. And you think that like it might be in the Universal Vault series, but if it's missing its opening credits and stuff, then that's probably why it's not come out. Well, that that is strange though that such a like a movie that we know there exists a print of it is lost or just hiding. Yeah. Yeah, it's annoying. Why would anybody care if it's not a good movie now? <laughs> yeah, it's it's just it's just frustrating that that's not available, and uh, and especially given who the director is, it's like that should be out there. Maybe yeah. someday somebody will put it in a whale set or something like that. Well, we can hope. I think we're about at the end here, unless anybody else has anything else that they want to say, any movies or, or things they want to bring up. Uh, no, I think that's, uh, I think we pretty much covered Vincent Price pretty well. Even, I mean, yeah. we with the bonus episodes. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, same. All right. Well, this was a lot of fun. I mean, I, maybe we should make this a regular thing. We'll, we'll do a, we'll do a, a bonus, ra- like, well, depending on how busy you are, a noir episode, maybe. There you go. Yeah, I'd be down for that. All right. So uh, before we go, let's let's go around uh, around the horn. Um, uh, Carlos, what's going on over at Dial F for Film? Well, the last uh, couple episodes have been sort of uh, music uh, related. Uh, episode 45 is uh, Music to My Ears with uh, Derek Richmond. And we talked about a hard day's night, Saturday, Saturday Night Fever and Amadeus. And then uh, today's episode, I released two episodes this week since I didn't release an episode last week. Um, and the second episode for the week is uh, titled Nevermind with James Harbo. And that is movies from 1991. And we talk about Delicatessen, Slacker, My Own Private Idaho, My Own Private Idaho. And we get into uh, Nirvana's Nevermind album at the beginning of the show. And much like uh, you, Aaron, I'm also having a summer series this year. And I am doing Summer of Kubrick, where I am going to knock out all the Kubrick uh, movies that are on the 1001 movies you must see before you die. And Aaron will be on that show. Is that all of the Kubrick films? Uh, almost actually. It's uh, I can tell you it's a uh, path of glory, Spartacus, Lolita, Dr. Strangelove, Clockwork Orange, Barry Lyndon, uh, the shining and Full Metal Jacket. So that's eight of 13. Well, actually nine, because uh, 2001 is on there, but I did it earlier last year. So there's nine out of 13 movies that are on the list. Wow. Well, The Killing should be. That's all there is to it. Yes. So uh, next, uh, actually, not next week. Well, yeah, next week on Monday, I'm releasing uh, a preview to the Summer of Kubrick, and I am having uh, a regular guest on the show, Miss Sandy Satan, back to discuss The Killing. Uh, because when I was making the schedule. I assumed the killing was on there and then I looked it up and it wasn't. So we're going to talk about why it should be on the 1001 movies. You must see before you die, because I, as a Kubrick fan, definitely think that the killing should be on this list, which it's not, which I think is incredible. Uh, out of, I mean, there's Spartacus and Lolita, which are probably two of my least favorite. Uh, either one of those could replace the killing. The killing is just so good. If I wrote that book, it would be called 10,000 movies. You should see before you die. <laughs> 
Yes. <laughs> well, get I, on it. Get on it. What's going on? I, I believe that's my life. Actually, is yeah. that book? So. Well, that that's great. I uh, look forward to all that. I, I can't wait till we record our episode for it. It's going to be a lot yeah. of fun. Um, really looking forward to revisiting Barry Lyndon. Uh, Such a great movie. It is. I. <laughs> So good. Uh, I was going to start talking about it, and I'll, I'll just say it. <laughs> but um, it, it's it's really a fun movie that took me. A I, I would be the dissenting voice on that. That's my that's my least favorite Kubrick film. It was my least favorite for a long time too. And then a couple of years ago, I watched it again. It's. I'm not saying it's not a film you should watch. It's just my least favorite of the Kubricks. So it's still it's still a good film, but I've always been slightly underwhelmed by it. But how about how about you, Rick? Do you have anything? Um, I know you're really busy with work, so we can. Well, yeah, I just got started doing it again. I'm 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 finding out that I enjoy sending invoices to a company to get paid. So <laughs> I think that's going to be my concentration going forward here because I've not been working and not making money, and I would like to have some money again. So um, yeah, I I think that's going to. I'm still watching. I'm still averaging just under five films a day because I got my rate. I, I got up to almost six films a day for a while there. So it's starting to come down. It's just below five right now, but I have watched an almost, I think I've watched like 750 films already this year. So it's like, oh my God. yeah, I, I working from home and no kids. Oh <laughs> well, yeah. You know, I, and you know what? That's the lifestyle I chose. So yeah. Um, yeah, I, yeah, That's I'm great. almost 750 films for the, for the year. So you got me. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I've seen five today. So you know, wow. with plans for two more. So, all right. What are those two more? Uh, well, uh, I haven't, wa- I still need to watch. Re- I still have to add, do a proper watch of the French sex murders on cinematic void. So I'm gonna do that late tonight. Uh, and then I'm watch creature features at nine and uh, they're showing wavelength at night uh, from 1983. They're showing that tonight, a science fiction UFO yeah. film. I might, I might have to check that out. I I've fallen off on uh, creature features a bit. I still really, I try to catch up on them, but I'm, I'm a f- yeah. well, if you're watching tonight, join me and we'll uh, uh, talk our way through live. it. I can never do it live. Oh, okay. Yeah. Enjoy those. The French sex murders. It, not as much sex as you would expect, but uh, plenty of murders. Yep. As for me, I mean, everybody listening to this, you know where we're at. You can find us on all your podcast apps. You can find me uh, and the podcast socially on all the socials at Two Headed Pod, Twitter and Instagram. You have any questions or messages you want to leave? There is a Gmail, Two Headed Pod at Gmail, and of course the uh, Facebook group. Everybody out there, please rate, review, and subscribe. That stuff does help. And we will see you next week for another incredible two-headed podcast.